Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 18th Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. Sermon text is taken from Psalm 80, verses 7 through 19. Can be found on page 919 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 80, verses 7 through 19. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It set out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock at your right hand planted, <coughs> excuse me, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes God's timing is interesting. I did not expect, as I'm sure no one did yesterday, to wake up to news of the attack on Israel. Did not expect to see the tragedies, to hear about the violence, or to encounter evil of such a magnitude. And I did not expect, as I prepared to preach a sermon about God as our military commander, to have to weave in and out of now what images might seem like a double entendre. But here we are. We are confronted with evil, objective, undeniable evil, face to face. And the thought of evil, the interaction with evil, the reality of evil should call us to cry out to God. It should cause us to do that. Uh, And many have been doing that, and just as we do any world tragedy we come face to face with. And and when we call out to God for mercy, we expect, as the Bible tells us, to receive mercy. We expect God will act graciously. But perhaps we don't consider that we would call out to God for military action. That's what Asaph does for us in our psalm this morning. Three times he appeals to God, the Lord of hosts. It's a a kind of a, a high churchy kind of 
wordy sort of thing that we don't really know what it means unless we think about it. A, a, a less formal translation of Lord of Hosts is the Lord of Armies. The commander of the armies of heaven. And so, we make no mistake that what happened yesterday was ugly and disgusting and tragic and evil. What we do today is we turn to God. We turn to God not just for tragedies in the world around us, but we turn to tragedy to God because of tragedies in our own life. We turn to God because for whatever reason we might have, our goal in this life, as directed by God in his word, is restoration, is salvation, is healing. And so, we plead with Asaph this morning to the God of armies. And God has given us the perfect answer. Turning our eyes back to Psalm 80 then, we first see that we need to be saved, that we plead to God for salvation, that we plead to him to act primarily because of our sin. So Asaph's first appeal this morning to the God of armies in Psalm 80 comes with a remembrance, comes with a happy memory. He recalls the former glory of Israel as God delivered Israel out of Egypt. God planted the wandering nation in the promised land. He drove out the nations before Israel. He planted Israel. It took root, and the nation flourished. Asaph, in poetic imagery this morning, recalls for us the greatness of the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament under David and under Solomon, a prosperous nation that stretched from the Euphrates River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, a prosperous nation that caused other kings to acknowledge it and fear it and even come to it for help. This opening section of our psalm this morning ends in tragedy and in judgment. God allows the walls of the nation, both figuratively and literally, to be broken down in judgment. God allowed the fruit of his nation to be plucked figuratively and literally. Israel was judged. Israel was ransacked. Israel was exiled. And the nation was left in shambles. Verse 13 is our key to understanding what Asaph is talking about in the first section. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. A boar, or more literally a swine, was something that was unclean and disgusting, something that offended the sensibilities of any, any good Jew in the Old Testament. And this is the picture of what was allowed to ravage the nation of Israel in judgment. We ask ourselves, why? What happened? Well, Jeremiah, the prophet, uses similar language in chapter 5 of his prophecy where he writes, Therefore a lion from the forest shall strike them down, a wolf from the desert shall devastate them. And if you look at Jeremiah 5, if you have a study Bible that has headings over each section, you'll find that God's judgment rains down from heaven on Israel because of Israel's failure and then refusal 
to repent. In Jeremiah 5, God sends Jeremiah prophetically to look through the decimated streets of Jerusalem, to look for someone whom God can find to rescue and turn back his judgment. Is there any, God asks, who does justice in the city? And Jeremiah prophetically looks and returns to God with the answer, no. There is none whom God can find that will turn back his wrath from his judgment against sin. And we recognize the historical implications of this. We know about the exile. We know about God's judgment. But the warning to us here this morning in the church is also clear and is also stark. We ought not to take God's favor for granted. We ought not to expect that God protects us just because of who we are. You think about what the people with familial or emotional or other ties to Israel discovered yesterday the emotions they wrestled with as they watched what happened unfold. I saw several times on the news yesterday comparing what happened yesterday in Israel to what happened to us on September 11, 2001, when America, for the first time in generations, lost its feeling of invincibility. And the fear and the worry for those of us who were around back then were plagued with, as we saw not one, but two jets pummel the Twin Towers as we waited for news on the jet flying towards the Pentagon or the one that crashed in Pennsylvania. And we ought not think in the church we are any different. That we deserve God's favor simply because we exist. Because that type of notion, the warning here is clear. Failure to repent, failure to confess sin before God always, always, always ends up in tragedy. Because of sin, apostasy is always right around the corner. Judgment by God is ready to follow apostasy. Asaph acknowledges that in his specific situation, the real evil, the real problem, is a lack of repentance. This is also why Asaph's second appeal is so interesting and necessary. Asaph, again, appeals to the God of armies, to God for salvation. And what we find in the second section of our psalm lesson from Psalm 80 is that we need to be saved and Jesus is the only answer. Listen again to what Asaph writes. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock at your, that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. 
It's very important for us this morning to note that Asaph, Asaph uses the same language to describe Israel. He once again refers to the vine. But in this instance, something has changed. The references to the nation as a vine have been replaced to the references of one son. The son whom you have made strong for yourself. The man at your right hand. God's people, the vine he planted, whether the nation of Israel in the Old Testament or the church of the New Testament and in our present day, those people have discovered that the only way God will deal with them is through a substitute, through the one man. This is the best possible news we could learn. Jesus comes And he comes and he stands in the place of the vine because he is the vine. Jesus comes and he comes to redeem and to heal and to restore and to revive. In our sin and in our shame, it is difficult and maybe even impossible To see the difference between punishment for our sins and the attacks of our enemies. We're not able to distinguish which one is which in the moment. And sometimes you suffer because you are a sinner. Sometimes you suffer because you refuse to repent. And God needs to get your attention. But sometimes you suffer because you live in a sinful and fallen world. You suffer because other sinners surround you. And you suffer because you have enemies. And in our suffering, as we try to sort that out, what God does is the same. He gives you Jesus. Jesus is the answer to your punishment because Jesus goes to the cross for you and in your place. Jesus takes your sin and makes it his own. Jesus dies the death you deserve for rebelling against God and he satisfies God's wrath against your rebellion and against your unrepentance. But Jesus also is the answer to the attacks of the enemy. Because at the cross and with the empty tomb, Jesus conquers your enemies. He defeats death and sin and the devil. Surely, we deserve to be punished for our sins. But the enemy, your enemies, attempt to gloat in that punishment, attempt to gloat in that judgment. And Jesus is God's rebuke to your enemies. Because Jesus is victorious. He is the Son of Man now who stands at the right hand of God, who is the demonstration of God's power. And so all of your enemies, whether or not you can see it right now, all of your enemies are answered by God in Jesus. He is your victory. He is your triumph. He is your deliverance. What Asaph appeals for in verse 18 is exactly what you receive in Jesus. Asaph says, give us life. And Jesus is your life. And so Asaph closes Psalm 80 
with the exact same prayer he opened our psalm for this morning. Restore us. O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Well, this works for poetic symmetry. It's beautiful. We appreciate that. But it also serves as our constant reminder. It is your reminder this morning that not only do you constantly need to be saved, but that God is always saving you. Your sin clings so very closely to you on a day-to-day basis. Your sin is constantly rearing its ugly head in your life. And even as Christians, even as we all struggle to master and control sin in our day-to-day lives, our sin constantly threatens to undo us. We would echo with D.L. Moody, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And so we ought not stop repenting. We ought not pretend that our sin isn't a problem. We ought not to minimize our sin and ignore it in hopes that it goes away. But we ought to. What we ought to do is turn to God daily and cry out to Him for mercy. And because we do that, as we do that, as we repent, God reminds us that He is the God of armies. And that He is on the march. And that He has, in fact, saved us and delivered us because He has sent His Son, the man of His right hand, to save. Jesus died for you. He died that your sins might be forgiven. He died to save you. Jesus rose again. And thus he conquered your enemies, sin, death, and the devil who constantly attack. And just as God turns to you and shows you favor and gives you life in Jesus, God now, today, and every day calls you to turn to him. And he will save you today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.